0: The psalm that you've sung this morning and indeed the prayers you've prayed are pretty much what I want to say. So in one sense, um, what what I'm going to say is really affirming what you've sung and what you've prayed. But let me show you this first. This is my washing machine. And um, it's like pretty much anybody's washing machine, I'm guessing. But I wonder whether you're like me. In our household, the washing's my job, so I'm I'm aware of this machine. But this is a, this was kind of a new machine we got a few uh, uh, perhaps last year, so it's not that old. This was really helpful because it's giving you the numbers and white cotton, cotton. And then the, the sort of the washing temperatures, which is really good. So I, I, I kind of use that a lot. And then from 6 to 10, you can twiddle that knob around, and then it's got wool, silk, jeans, express, and flash. But no, no awareness of how hot anything should be done, so I tend not to use those buttons. Yeah. From 11 to 13, sport-intensive, sport-like, special shoes... No idea what any of that means, so we've never used it. We haven't got special shoes. I've got a button for eco time. I've no idea what eco time means, so I've never pressed that one. No idea what it means. How does that work? I'm not expecting this to go on long, folks. I've got a button for intensive wash. How do you know when you need... I never pressed that button. Dirty clothes, but... I wouldn't put clean clothes in. <laughs> Extra rinse. Why? I no, never pressed that one. And then delay timer. I know what it means. I don't know how it works. So I never pressed this. I have then got a start and pause button. Well, I've never ever in my whole life put washing in and thought, Do you know what, I'd like to pause that for a while now. <laughs> It's kind of like you shove the washing in, you want it to wash, and you want it out. You don't want to go, tell you what, let's, let's pause for a few hours. <laughs> so I never used that one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you don't put the washing in. It's not rocket science. <laughs> and then you've got different speeds at which it spins. From zero, why would you want to wash clothes and then get them out sopping wet? So anyway, the point is, I've no idea really what the difference between 400 and 500 actually is. Yes, I know it's 100. (laughs) I know it's 100. But the point is, it sticks at 1,400 because that's fast. All I'm asking, (laughs) I don't care. All I'm suggesting to you is, I have a really basic machine, that is not a clever machine, but I use three buttons. I'm recognizing that in this room, all of you have appliances that you have no idea how they actually work or you don't use them to the full. Some of you, they're called mobile phones. Some of you have mobile phones and you think it's to do with the dark arts when you get into the settings button. You've been given something, but the point is, this is a serious point, you can make it work. It does enough. Our clothes are clean, it works. You don't need to know what all the buttons are for, but I'm kind of guessing, and I'm pleased, Please. Over coffee, I don't want 15 people to come and explain it. (laughs) (laughs) All of that to say this. That I reckon there's a lot about the Christian life that you know just enough to get by. But actually there's a lot more. I have no doubt that Indiset, when they put that washer together, actually have got logic behind it, and there's ways that that machine could be used better than I am using it. But the point is, I think there's elements about our Christian life that you're getting by with, but it could be different. And One of the things I want to talk about is prayer. Prayer is like the basic thing about being a Christian. The first thing, that, if you be, when you became a Christian or if you become a Christian, the first thing someone will say to you is, you need to pray. But actually what lots of us don't know is, well, how do we do that? And so what we tend to do is we tell one another, just talk to God about anything. Because he listens to you. And we do that because we want to explain to one another, God really cares. But actually, you need to learn how to pray. You can get by, but if you just talk to God about everything that comes to your mind, I tell you what will happen. You'll pray for yourself more than anybody else. You'll pray for your concerns and your situations more than anybody else. One of the things that happens when you come to the book of Psalms is you find in the middle of the Bible a book there is a book of prayer, not a book to tell you how to pray, but a book of prayers, a book of prayers that often were sung. And they're there not to say, let's have a conversation about prayer, but a book of prayers to help you pray that actually you and I can take on board and pray, pray when you don't know what to pray. They're prayers that model, their prayers that allow us to join in, their prayers that enable us to wrestle with God. If you've got a Bible or you're within close, can you open one? It's really helpful if you can do that this morning particularly. Look with me at Psalm two. So go to Psalm two. Now, one of the things that you notice when you get to Psalm 2, one of the things you notice when you get to Psalm 2 is that Psalm 1 and Psalm 2, neither of them have a kind of title. If you look at Psalm 3, Psalm 3's got a title, a Psalm of David, when he fled from his son Absalom. Psalm 4's got a title. Psalm 5's got a title. Psalm 1 and 2, they don't have titles. And indeed, Psalm 1 and 2 don't sound like prayers. They're more like a gateway to prayer. They're like an arch that brings you in. Let me read Psalm 2. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together. "...against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, "'Let's break their chains and throw off their shackles. "'The one enthroned in heaven laughs. "'The Lord scoffs at them. "'He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, "'I've installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. "'I will proclaim the Lord's decree. "'He said to me, you're my son. "'Today I've become your father.' Ask me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You'll break them with a rod of iron. You'll dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son, or he will be angry, and you and your ways will be destroyed. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. When you hear it, what's your first reaction? When you read it, what's your first reaction? About about sovereignty of God? Okay. So the nations can do what they think they can do what they want and the absolutely above this is is God's sovereignty. What else do you know what else do you as you read it what strikes you? Okay, it reads like it could be for today. It's it's all too familiar. Anybody else? What strikes you as you read it? Okay, there's, there's odd bits in this about you're my son, today I've become your father, God's speaking to, who's he speaking to? What else strikes you? Do, any of you? do any of you read this and go, this sounds really, it sounds quite tough, doesn't it? Do you know what I mean? Like, often in prayer, you sort of want prayer to be a place where you're feeling secure and refreshed and spiritually renewed. But this sounds harsh. Kiss the son, lest he be angry with you, because he's going to rule the nations with a, a, what is it, a rod of iron and dash them to pieces like pottery. It's like, this doesn't sound like we could put it in a chorus, I want to suggest that Psalm 2 is like a bucket of cold water on us. To everybody who thinks prayer is about being quiet and retreat and serene and refreshed, the Psalm 2 begins the book of prayers by throwing a bucket of water over you. And you're left thinking, gosh. Let's just go through the psalm really quickly. The powers rebel. Why do the nations conspire, the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up, the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let's break their chains and throw off their shackles. Psalmist begins, he goes, actually the powers and the rulers and the authorities all around us, they know they can live without God. They have decided God is irrelevant. This week, I don't know if you've caught this, but this week, David Cameron was asked by a member of the public, what do you think about Jesus and what he said about giving money away to the poor? That is a politician's nightmare. It's a politician's nightmare. It's why when Tony Blair was asked, what do you think about God, Alistair Campbell stepped in and said, we don't do God. Now, of course, they did God, but what we don't, we don't know how to talk about it publicly. David Cameron says, actually said, Jesus was quite a nice guy. He had some good ideas. In fact, David Cameron went so far to say, Jesus was the first one to talk about the big society. What do you prefer? People who say, we don't do God. Or do you prefer people who try to use Jesus for their own ends? Or actually, do we want to say to both of them, you've got it wrong? The powers rebel. What's God do? God laughs. God laughs with derision. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs. He rebukes them in his anger. He terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I've installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. God laughs and God acts. What's God done? The psalmist says, God has placed someone on the throne. And the person on the throne that they were talking about here was their king. Now, we might find this difficult to understand, but what the psalmist says is, in Israel at that time, our king is an act of God. God's put him there. God is not phased by the rulers and the governments. Our king's there. And then, God speaks in verse 7 to 9. This is what God says, you're my son, today I've become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You'll break them with a rod of iron, you'll dash them to pieces like pottery. God speaks and says to the king, I'm your father, you're my son, you're the one that's going to do my bidding, ask me and I will give you victory. And then the powers are warned. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear. Celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son or he'll be angry and you and your ways will be destroyed for his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. God warns the powers. Now something interesting happens. When we said before, Who's God speaking to him when he says, You're my son? Eleanor shouted out, He's talking about Jesus. Well, it's really interesting because what happened was Israel lost their king, they all went into exile. But they believed that what God had promised would never, ever fail. And even though they didn't have a land and they didn't have a king and they were so far away from all that they wanted to be, they kept believing that God would bring them a king. And when Jesus came and started to speak about the kingdom of God's here, they heard and they went, so does that mean you're the king? And then when they were at his baptism and they heard the voice speak from heaven saying, you're my son, And when they were on the Mount of Transfiguration and they they saw that brilliance and they saw Jesus shining and they heard the voice from heaven saying, this is my son, they started to remember this psalm. And this psalm is the foundational psalm for all of the New Testament. Every time they were worshipping, they kept going back to this psalm saying, but Jesus is our king. And what that says is that God hasn't finished With our world, God's still in control. Can you turn with me to Acts 4? I'll show you how it worked out. I'll show you how it actually worked out. Acts 4, verse 24. Let me explain what's been going on. Peter and John have been put in prison. Um, Overnight, they've been... uh, Questioned by the Sanhedrin, they've been threatened, and then they've been released. They go back to church, and the church prays. Verse 24, when they heard this, when they heard they'd been released, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Watch. Acts 4. The powers have rebelled. Herod and Pontius Pilate have said no to the kingdom. What does God do? God laughs and God acts. They pray together. Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel to conspire against your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed. They did what your power had uh, what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. God acted. God speaks. Verse 29, now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak. God speaks through the people and the powers are warned, the place where they are is shaken. It's the same pattern. Now, what gives New Testament Christians the courage they had? It's this. This gives them the courage. Because your situation might be one where you're dealing with a circumstance that is out of control. And it's so ungodly, it's untrue. But what's going to happen? You name the things that are not right. In the psalm, the nations and the governments. Rebel, name the things that are not right. It might be in your workplace, it might be in your family, it might be what you see when you read the papers and you watch the telly. What are the things that are not right? Name them. Remember that God has acted in Jesus. When we say Jesus rose from the dead and ascended to the right hand of the Father, what we are saying is there is no area of life that Jesus is not Lord of. Ask God, may your kingdom come. And with the New Testament believers, give us boldness, God. Now remember that they were saying, give us boldness the day after they've been threatened by the powers. They've been told, if you keep on speaking, you will be in trouble. So what are you going to do? You're going to pray, God, give us boldness to keep on speaking. And two chapters later, by the way, They're going to be imprisoned, and they're going to be beaten. The powers are true to their word. And finally, be urgent. Be urgent. You've not got much time. I wonder if you were to think about that, those situations. About your work, or about your family situation, it might be, or about the things you watch on the news. Where are the things where you say, actually, my situation or the country or the world is is pushing against what God would want? What are they? And what difference does it make that Jesus ascended, that he died and he rose again and he ascended? And what does it mean for the kingdom to come? And what does it mean for you to be urgent? This is the bucket of cold water that comes in. If you don't believe that God is over the powers, there's no point beginning to read the next psalm, Psalm 3. You might as well give up on prayer. If you don't believe that the ascension of Jesus means that Jesus is Lord of all, there's no point going to God and asking God why. Because you don't believe that he's Lord of all. If you don't believe that when he died and rose and ascended, that you can trust him, then don't go to God when you're disappointed. The Psalm 3 through to 150, all those Psalms give you voice when you've got things to give thanks for, when you've got things that are going great, when there's times when you're really disappointed with God, and there's times when you're wrestling with God. But unless you go through this process first, the gateway of Psalm 2, you'll never get to Psalm 3. Does this make sense? I know you're, some of you are distracted by children. Do you, do you know what I'm trying to get at you? Okay. Find someone who looks vaguely intelligent. All right. You need to move. <laughs> as much as you can. In the situation you're in today, at work, in families, or as you watch the news and you see the papers, what are the things that are not right? Just take one of those areas. What are the things that are not right? Hang on. What does it mean that Jesus has ascended, that he's Lord of all? What does it mean for you to pray, may your kingdom come? God, give us boldness. What are you asking boldness for? And what do you want the kingdom to do? And what does it mean for you to be urgent? Just very quickly, and I'm telling you, this won't be long, so you've not got ages to to sort of process it. And it may not be that everybody will get a chance to speak, so listen as well as speak, but at least in twos or threes, no more than that, can you talk together about the situations you're in And then we can pray. Go. God has not given us the privilege of just moaning. God has not given us the privilege of just moaning. When Jesus rose from the dead and ascended to the right hand of God, all things came under His Lordship. So when we pray, may your kingdom come, you're praying in line with justice, with peace, for righteousness, for people to know hope where there is no hope. May your kingdom come. May your will be done. This is how the psalm ends. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. A refuge is found in inhospitable places. You don't live in a refuge. You go to a refuge because actually where you've been has been so bad. And you find rest there, but you go back out again. And the reality is, for some of you, you might be in really difficult situations. Blessed are those who find refuge in God. Recognizing that one day you're going to have to come out and climb the mountain (laughs) because the refuge is no place to live. You can't get away from things, you can't retreat but you can find the strength that God gives you. So you climb the mountain with him. Let's pray together. Let's stand and pray. Lord Jesus, together we come. And in our own situations, our own personal situations, many of us are aware that we're working in situations that sometimes they're robbers. Of so much Lord there's some people in the room today and they're working for employers who want their soul (laughs) and they take everything but Lord because you rose from the dead we dare to believe that you have a prior claim on our lives so Lord for those of us who feel burnt out by situations that are beyond our control Lord we point to the fact that we're yours and you own us. Lord, give us boldness to know what to say and how to act. Lord, some of us are in families that are really not great. And their relationships are skewed and they're dysfunctional and they've been skewed for years. Lord, we pray because of the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus, we might live out the implications of the lordship of Jesus there. I pray that we'll live with grace, that we'll live with forgiveness, that we'll live with truth, where sometimes those things are in really short supply. Lord, give us boldness, we pray. And Lord as a church we recognize that we live in a world that largely has dismissed you and thinks it can get along without you or simply wants to use you for their own ends. Lord, because of the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus, we declare the Lordship of Jesus over our city, over our land. And we pray together, may your kingdom come, may your will be done in this part of your earth as it is in heaven. Lord, we pray for justice, we pray for righteousness, we pray for salvation, we pray for hope. and We pray for your spirit to come and fill your people with boldness and shake the places we meet in so we can be under no no illusion of the power of God. Come, we pray, in the name of Jesus. The ascension happened because Jesus gave himself up to the cross. Because at the cross, truth and mercy met. The truth to a world that says, you're wrong. And mercy that said, I'll pay the price. Where justice that says, someone pays, is met by grace. Where God says, my son will pay. On the cross, in a public place, God demonstrated his love for the world in the brokenness of his son. The son who'd said of the father, give me the nations. And it was through the cross and the resurrection and the ascension that God speaks to our world. And we come and we take communion And the broken bread speaks of the broken body of Jesus that was broken for us. And the blood that was shed for us is represented by that cup. And we eat and we drink and we say, we're staking our all on that. That's the truth. In a world that has many other truths, a world that has many other stories, that's the truth we want to live in. So come and eat with us and drink with us and know the power of God in your own life and know the resurrection and know the salvation and know the forgiveness in your own life as you're sent to be used by him for your purpose. Lord, we bless you.